0: Good morning. My name is Gary Weber. I'm the pastor here at Southside Baptist Church. I'm so glad you have joined us this morning for worship. Uh, We are in the second week of a series that we are calling Tongue Tied. And uh, over the last few days, many of you may have found yourself in a situation similar to that one. Uh, Maybe you spent some extra money this week for things that you had said that you shouldn't have said, or maybe even some things that you thought, uh, as we have just tried to hold each other accountable to the words that come out of our mouth. Last week, as we kicked the series off, We said that the tongue reveals what goes on inside of our hearts. That's why it's so important, not just that we monitor our speech... But more importantly, that we consider what it is that the words that come out of our mouth are revealing about what's going on inside of our hearts. And so we started this series by looking at, at James chapter 3. And if you missed it last week, I encourage you to go to our website, listen to the podcast, catch up, read James chapter 3. Uh, it really is a challenging indictment about the way we use our mouths, the way we use our tongues. And here's the truth that we took away. How I use my tongue reveals the true condition of my heart. How I use my tongue reveals the true condition of my heart. And to hold our, ourselves accountable, we, we, took something, we took something on that we're calling the 429 challenge. And there are four parts of this challenge that last for 29 days. And the first challenge is this, to only speak words of encouragement for 29 days, words that will be helpful to others, to refrain from saying anything that's unwholesome, from any unwholesome talk, to take 29 minutes every day of silence just to be silent before God and to allow his word to dominate our minds rather than our own words, and to at some point in the course of the 29 days take a 29-hour vow of silence. Now, many of you are already scrambling to figure out how in the world can I take 29 hours of silence. But the object is this. It's not just to to say, can you be quiet for 29 hours? Hours, but it's instead to say, can you still your own voice long enough to listen to the voice of others and to discern what it is that their words are telling you about the condition of their hearts and how God might use you to minister to your family, to your friends, to your community, as we are just more intentional about the words that we use And the way that we use them. We have a theme verse that actually is where we got this 429 challenge. It's Ephesians 429 and and we're encouraging you to memorize this over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, So we're going to put it on the screen because some of you may not have memorized it yet but if you did close your eyes. Let's see if we can say it together all right. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up that it may be, benefit those who listen. Oh, I tried to do it for a of myself. Let's try it one more time together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. So this is the challenge. This is the challenge that comes to us from the word of God. And so for the next Three weeks we are just looking at what can we do to use our tongues in such a way uh, that we're building other people up and that we're keeping unwholesome comments from coming out of our mouths. Now I don't need to tell you, you all know um, the power of words and the power of words to destroy relationships and to create division uh, between people um so sociologists and and some diplomats have studied the way words are used and one of the things that they have studied in the use of words is something called a conflict spiral now my guess is even if you've never heard the term conflict spiral you've all been in a conflict spiral before some of you may live in a perpetual state of a conflict spiral but here's how it begins It begins innocently enough two people are having a conversation and they just misunderstand one another there's something that's said that's a, that may be slight, of slight offense to, to one or the other party, and, and they don't resolve it in that situation. So there's just a small conflict. Just if you would imagine like a tornado, the base of a tornado, there's, there's a wind that's moving in a circle, it's tight and it's small. But as, the time passes, as time goes on, the conflict becomes more and more wide. And pretty soon what, ha- what started out as just maybe a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation of words, it, one party begins to question the motives of the other party about things that were not at all related to the first situation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Can I get a witness? Anybody been in a conflict spiral? Okay. Right. So, so there's a misunderstanding and then it leads to some level of distrust. And by the time you get to the top of the tornado, it is completely out of control I mean things are flying everywhere accusations fears innuendo everything you say is questioned everything you say is is scrutinized and there's a level of distrust that goes so far beyond what anybody can control anymore and you may not even remember how it started back at the very beginning with one word that's misinterpreted one phrase that's misunderstood one unresolved conflict between people it's ended marriages it's split churches It's divided nations. It has led to incredibly difficult circumstances just because words were spoken harshly or rashly or misunderstood and time was not taken to say, can we come to some understanding about what you meant when you said X, Y, Z. We've all got stories of times where when we've dug back down to the root cause, we've discovered that the uh, the entire basis of our conflict with an individual was based completely on A misunderstanding or a misinterpretation. And yet the pain that ensued because of one simple misspoken word can really have uh, consequences that can last uh, for a lifetime. So what what I want us to look at today are, are not just the words that we say, but I want to talk today about how the fact that the words that we say when they're spoken in the wrong time, when they're spoken with the wrong tone, or when they're targeted to the wrong person can be devastating. Uh, the, the Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this. He said, how good is a well-timed word? Don't you know? Hasn't there been those times where somebody has come up to you and given you a word of encouragement at just the moment you needed it the most? Like you, you were you were really at a low point, and somebody just sent you an email or a text message, or they called you, or, or they saw you as you were walking by, and they, they had no idea what was going on, but their words were just timed just so well. It was just the encouragement you needed at that moment. That's what Solomon's talking about. How beautiful, how wonderful are well-timed words. As people, we want to be people who speak words of life, who give well-timed words words that bring healing and reconciliation. So today I, I want to look at this I want to look at this idea from some really practical standpoints. I, I want to look at what the Bible says about the timing of our words, the tone of our words, and the target of our words. And as we look at each of these three, I want to give you some questions. And if you're a note taker on the back of the worship guide this morning, there's a place for you to take some notes. As you just consider the words you use, the timing of those words, the tone of those words, and how you direct those words. So, so, so let's get started first with the timing of our words. The timing of our words. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise is brings healing. Uh, ha, ha, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the Shakespeare, I think it was, who, who said that, the, that the, the tongue can be as sharp as a sword. The pen can be more powerful than a weapon. Words that we use are powerful, and when we choose to use the words, matters. Uh, if you'll open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at a few verses from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25 and 26 the timing of our words. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So so Paul is talking about our words and he's starting out with with a very simple idea. It actually goes all the way back to the 10 commandments, don't lie, tell the truth put away falsehood and let each of you speak to each other with truth, for we are members of one another. In other words, the way we speak to another, the truth that we speak to one another is to our own benefit. It's to our own benefit to speak truth and to avoid falsehood as we talk to each other. Be angry, but do not sin. You know, the Bible never tells you not to be angry. In fact, we can read the story uh, of Jesus cleansing the temple and you can see that Jesus was pretty angry in in that instance. The Bible doesn't say don't be angry. It's not realistic for you to think that you could go through life and never be angry. But what the Bible does say is be angry, but do not what? Sin. Now, when you're angry, what is the most likely part of your body that will fall into sin? Your mouth. Because when we're angry, the first thing that we do is we begin to speak, we begin to talk, we begin to say things that often we will regret later. And so Paul is saying, as you're dealing with your neighbors, put away falsehood. It's okay, you're going to have situations, you're going to have circumstances where you're going to be angry. But be careful that you do not sin. And then he says this, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What is he? He is talking about timing. The timing of our words. Now, this is used a lot in marriage counseling. I've heard couples who've said, we just stayed up all night because Paul said in Ephesians, not to let the sun go down on your anger. And so we just stayed up all night fighting. I don't think that's quite what Paul meant. Sometimes it's good to get a a little bit of sleep and come back and address an issue later on. It's important to understand that the Jewish day actually began at sunset. So, when Paul was saying, do not let the sun go down on your anger, what Paul was actually saying, he wasn't saying, don't go to bed angry, although I think that's a a good interpretation of the passage. What he's really saying is, don't take negative relationships into a new day. Make sure that as you're going into a new day, it really is a new day, that it's a fresh start. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't take that anger with you into a new day because it gives an opportunity to the devil. Because here's what here's what we learn about the timing of our words and how we deal with conflict with people. The longer conflict is left unresolved, the greater the opportunity for misunderstanding and misinterpretation. The longer you leave conflict unresolved, the greater the opportunity that the conflict will grow. The greater the opportunity that people will misunderstand the things that you said. The greater the opportunity that people will misinterpret the things that you said. I've said it before. Um, those of you who are married may have had the same experience, uh, where you are anticipating a, a a healthy, robust conversation with your spouse, and, and and as anticipation of this conversation, you are already beginning to build up your arguments. All the things that you want to say. And this doesn't have to just be between spouses. It could be maybe you're going to go talk to your boss about a situation that's going on at the office. It could be in a school that you're having to go and talk to a teacher about a circumstance that happened in the classroom. But what do you begin to do as you anticipate the conversation? You begin to rehearse it. And you begin to anticipate what they're going to say. And then how you're going to respond. And then the questions they might ask and the answers you might have. And you begin to come up with your one-liners. You begin to come up with all the things that you can say to all the possible things that they may say to you. And the longer that goes on, the greater the opportunity for you to only harbor resentment and anger inside of your heart. The longer conflict is left unresolved, the greater the opportunity for misunderstanding and misinterpretation. Listen to what James said in James chapter 1, verse 19 about the timing of our words. He said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But we do just the opposite, don't we? We are quick to become angry, quick to use our words. And only after we've exhausted our words Is there the possibility that maybe we'll be quiet long enough to listen to what the other person says? How many conflicts have you been engaged in personally that if you would have just kept your mouth shut for 10 more minutes, it would have have eliminated the whole conflict? You would have not even had a problem had you just listened a little bit longer. This is practical advice. Listen, you may be here today and you're not even a Christian. This is good advice for you. Be quick to listen slow to speak, and even slower to become angry. This is about the timing of our words. We don't let conflict fester. We deal with conflict quickly, but we are also quick to listen in those circumstances, slow to speak our own case, slow to come to our own defense, and slow to become angry, to allow time to help us to understand what the other person is saying um, Here are some questions that you should ask yourself. If ever you are in a situation and you feel anger beginning to grow up inside of you, remember the Bible says it's okay to be angry, but do not sin. Here are some questions that you can ask yourself as you are beginning to feel angry or you begin to feel conflict rise up between you and somebody else. What am I not getting that I feel I want, need, or deserve? What am I not getting that I feel I want, need, or deserve? Many times our anger comes because we feel like a need that we have is not being met. Or we feel like we deserve something that we're not getting. Or there's something that we want that this person may not be providing for us. What am I not getting? You see, this goes back to the whole issue of our our mouths, our words, revealing the true condition of our hearts. And if we will stop long enough to evaluate our own heart and to ask ourselves these questions, God may reveal to you something about yourself more than he may reveal to you Uh, just the right word to say to defend yourself uh, in the person with with the person that you're talking to what am I not getting that I feel I want need or deserve the second question is this what am I afraid of losing what am I afraid of losing many times our anger comes because we feel like somebody's about to take something from us we feel like that, that, that maybe we feel threatened maybe it's a situation at work and you feel like there's somebody new in the office, and, and maybe they're encroaching in on your territory, or there's, there's a new kid in school, and, and this kid's popular, and, and maybe this kid, you're feeling like maybe this kid's going to take away some of your friends, or that your friends are going to switch their allegiance to them. I don't know what it is, but what is it that you are afraid of losing? Third question, do I believe God is in control? Do I believe God is in control? Now you think, that seems like an awfully silly question. But it's not. Because what happens when you're angry and you speak out of anger? You are trying to assert your own control in that situation. You're using your words to manipulate circumstances and situations because you are trying to control it. Why are you trying to control the situation? Because at the root, you don't believe anybody else, including God, is in control. Do I really believe that God's in control of this circumstance? And does he need my help? And the answer to that is often no. He doesn't need your help. Do I believe God's in control? And the fourth question, and I love this question. (laughs) How would a classy person act in this situation? (laughs) Now, that's just assuming that I'm not classy. How would a person classier than me act in this situation? How many times have you allowed anger to cause you to speak rashly and you look back and you regret with everything you've got the words that you said and the hurt that you inflicted? If you had paused long enough to ask yourself these questions, what am I not getting that I feel I want, need, or deserve? What am I afraid of losing? Do I believe God is in control? And how would a classy person act in this situation? First of all, it's going to slow down your response. It's going to force you to evaluate the condition of your own heart. And when you do respond, you'll respond with a, with a lot more discernment. So the, the timing of our words is important. But the second thing I want to talk about is the tone of our words. The tone of our words matters as well. Continuing on in Ephesians chapter four, our, our memory verse, uh, verse 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So there's, there's a kind of words, that unwholesome talk, and he's gonna describe what those unwholesome words are in just a minute, come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but that your words, your unwholesome talk, grieves the Spirit of God. The words that you choose to use, when unwholesome talk comes out or when you fail to use words that are helpful or encouraging to those who are in need, you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And here he goes on from there. Let all, And here comes the list. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? He doesn't say some, he says all. All bitterness, all anger, all wrath, all clamor, all slander be put away along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And there's the key. Because you and I both know that many times we can justify the unkind things we say to people because of the way they've treated us. I mean, we can look and we can say, this person has inflicted terrible pain, terrible harm, they've done awful things to me, and I'm just speaking out of the truth of the circumstance. And yes, my words are filled with bitterness, and yes, they may be filled with wrath or anger, there may be clamor involved in them, but this person deserves that. And Paul ends this verse by turning the tables on you and on me. Because he says, the reason you do this is because it's what Christ has done for you. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, what is it that anyone else might have done to you that you are justified to withhold forgiveness and kindness to that person when God did not withhold kindness and forgiveness for you? Because Christ has done it for you, you can and you're called and you're compelled to do it for other people. So here are some questions to ask yourself before speaking. As you consider just using the tone of your words, first of all, is it helpful? Is the word is is what I'm about to say is it helpful? The second question is it true? Not that I heard somebody else say it, not that I heard it on the news, or not that I read it on social media. But is it true? Is what I'm saying is what I'm what I'm about to say true? Third, is it necessary? Is it necessary? Does it? Does it help in any way? Is it true, and is it necessary? And fourth, can it be said with compassion and sincerity? Can it be said with compassion and sincerity? There are lots of things that we can say that are full of compassion, but we say them insincerely. We've all been the recipro- uh, we've all been the recipients of words spoken by people who we knew didn't mean them. Can I say this with sincerity? Can I say this with compassion? And if the answer to any of these four questions is no, hold your tongue. It's pretty simple. If it's not helpful, if it's not true, if it's not necessary, if I can't say it with compassion and with sincerity, the answer is simple. Just don't say it at all. And then finally, I want to look at the target of our words. So the timing of our words, when we choose to speak, the tone of our words, the words we choose to use, And finally, the target of our words, who we are speaking to, to whom we're directing our comments. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 25. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 25. Jesus is talking, and uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and he is giving some very practical advice uh, to his listeners. And here's what he says about the target of our words. He's also going to address the timing, so listen for that as well. He's going to address the timing of our words, and he's going to address the target of our words. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Now, he's dealing with a timing issue. As you came into church today... The the advice of Jesus, the directive of Jesus was if you got here and then when you walked in the room, you remembered that your brother has something against you, the timing of dealing with that matters. That you should, according to Jesus, you should deal with that first before coming and offering your gift at the altar. But he's also dealing with the target who you speak to. First, be reconciled. Say it with me. Who to? To your brother. So you're going straight to the source, straight to the person that you have a conflict with. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms, here's the timing again, quickly with your accuser, the person who's got something against you. While you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard... And you be put into prison. So Jesus is dealing with something very specific here. Timing, he's saying, he's reiterating the idea. Deal with these issues quickly. Do not even come to worship. Do not make your offering before you've dealt with these issues. Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it quickly. But he's also saying the target. Go straight to the source. Who is the person who has something against you? Go to that person. Who is the person who's accusing you? Go to that person. This deals with biblical conflict resolution. And if you want to turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 18, he talks a little bit more about it, and he gives us four stages of how we deal biblically with conflict. And and this is, in my opinion, these are some of the simplest principles and teachings of jesus in the entire new testament and yet often the most overlooked about how we use our words to resolve conflict because it all has to do with the target of our words who are we talking to listen to what he said matthew chapter 18 beginning in verse 15 if your brother sins against you now in matthew 5 he's dealing with the idea that you have a brother who thinks you've sinned against him or her in matthew 18 he's turned it around the principles the same If there's somebody who's sinned against you or who's offended you. So it it, it works both ways. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him, what's that next word? Alone. Go to the person who's offended you alone. First, you don't talk about it with other people. You go straight to the person who's offended you, straight to the person who's got a problem with you, and you deal with him. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, okay? So step one, go directly to the person. You don't talk to anybody else about it. You go straight to that person, and you try to resolve the issue. What if that doesn't work? Well, he gives step two in verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, okay, I've gone to my brother or my sister. I've tried to resolve the issue. We can't resolve the issue. So now I'm going to go find two or three people who agree with me, and we're going to go and deal with my brother or my sister. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is you find two or three people who, first of all, love Jesus more than they love either of you who are involved in the conflict. Two or three other people who love God's word and who seek to live out God's word. Who can come and sit with you and who can help you try to resolve the issue. Bring two or three people with you. Go back to the person and you try to resolve the issue with these people who you know you can trust. That they are spirit-led people and they're going to help resolve the issue. And he said if that doesn't work, step three, verse 17. If he or she refuses to listen to them, so you've tried to resolve it, you brought two or three people, it's still unresolved. tell it to the church. Ooh. We just dialed it up quite a bit, didn't we? Now, I've been in situations where uh, biblical conflict resolution has been worked out. I've never been in a situation where it's been brought into a, situ- into a setting uh, like this. Um, but, but at Southside, we have leaders that that the church, you, the body of the church, have set aside... Uh, deacons who have been led, who have been selected, who are seen as servants in our church, who help lead our small groups and, and help minister to people and provide pastoral care. Our council of trustees, who are recognized as those who are set aside to protect the uh, the witness of the church and to to lead us as as, a, as an organization. And and we can go to those individuals and we can say, here's a situation, here's a conflict that's been brought up, and we can ask these leaders in the church to evaluate the situation and help bring some resolution to it that's step three and then step four if he or she refuses to listen even to the church let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector in other words sever the relationship like it's time to move on like you've done everything you can i've gone to this person privately no resolution i went and got a couple folks who love us both but love jesus more than they love us we tried to resolve it there was no resolution Then then we bring it to the the broader uh, community of the church. We try to resolve it. No resolution. And finally, Jesus says at that point, all you can do is sever the relationship. Separate yourself from that person. Now, this is one of Jesus' simplest yet consistently overlooked teachings. I mean, so many things that Jesus said in the Bible are so much more complicated, aren't they? I mean, the parables and understanding what Jesus meant and interpreting the illustrations and the analogies and and even his commandment to love one another and to love your enemies. I mean, those are mind-boggling directives. But when Jesus started talking about conflict resolution, he was very simple and very clear. If you have a problem with somebody, you go to that person, period. That's a commandment and a directive from Jesus himself. And to violate that commandment, to go to someone else before you've talked to the person with whom you have an issue, is as much a sin as anything else Jesus told you not to do. And yet we do it all the time. Think of how many of your own personal relationships would be different if these simple steps that Jesus had suggested were followed. Listen, students, this happens all the time. You live in a, in a world of high school and, and, and in social settings like that where it's always what somebody else said about somebody else and who's talking about who. Just think about how simpler, much simpler your life would be if you just followed this one directive. And again, you don't even have to believe anything about the Christian message to know that this is good advice. This is simple, good advice, and it would change the nature of your relationships. It would change the nature of our society if we simply followed the teachings of Jesus and we worked on the timing of our words, that we don't let the sun set on our anger, but we seek to resolve conflict quickly and we were quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, if if we dealt with the timing of our words, if we dealt with the tone of our words, that we only spoke words of kindness and we sought, sought to put away all malice and envy and clamor, And if we dealt with the target of our words and we were thoughtful about, who am I speaking to right now? Sherry and I have an understanding um, because I have conversations with many of you uh, about many different things. And uh, there have been many times that we're uh, in the course of our ministry together over uh, these past 23 years where people in the church have gone to Sherry and assumed that if I knew something that I told her, and I don't. Why? Because Jesus said not to. Pretty simple, isn't it? I I mean, this applies to every area of your life that the way you talk to people and who you choose to use your words to it matters it can split up families it can destroy churches this is so important how we choose to use our words so here's some questions to ask yourself before speaking to a person so this is determining am i talking to the right person first of all have i spoken have i first spoken to the offending offended person have you talked to, to that person directly second question can this person help resolve the conflict? Or am I just talking to this person because I'm looking for an ally? Because I'm looking for a sympathetic ear? Because if this person cannot go with you as one or two witnesses, then why have the conversation? You shouldn't. Can this person help resolve the conflict? Number three, will the information I share result in harm or reconciliation? If, if the conversation is not going to lead towards reconciliation, you should not have the conversation, period. And fourth, is this serious enough that I would be willing to speak to the entire church about it? <laughs> Somebody offends you, you need to play that scenario out all the way and say, is this important enough that I really would call Gary up and say, hey, we're going to need to talk about this in church next week. Listen, If it's not, build a bridge and get over it. Because that's what Jesus said the directive is. And if you already know that you would never do step three, then it's probably not worth doing step one. Get it? See what I'm talking about? Some of you just need to get get thicker skin and not take everything so personally and not be so quick to be offended, but instead assume the best about other people don't assume the worst about them. Are you using your words to reconcile people to each other and to God or just to further your own agenda and to prove your own point? See, that's what this comes down to. Why are you talking? Why are you talking? Are you trying to get people to recognize something about you, to acknowledge something about you, to praise you in some way? Are you trying to make your point? Are you trying to build your case? Or are you really seeking reconciliation with other people? Are you really trying to build relationships between the body of Christ? Are you really trying to build people, build people up so that they can have a, a, a relationship with Christ? Is that what you're really trying to do? Uh, this week, as I've been uh, considering the 429 Challenge myself, um, I've been uh, looking at uh, different ways people have talked in the public arena um, at uh, political rallies and conventions and on social media and just in the grocery store and listening to husbands and wives speak to each other. and um, One of the things that I noticed this week on social media is uh, some members of, of our own church here uh, posted something that they put up on their refrigerator. I think we have a picture of it. Um, this is on a refrigerator. Maybe some of you heard it. Before you speak, think, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Um, And and I was thinking about this idea and how hard it is to tame the tongue, how difficult it would be. I mean, if you sat down with these 12 questions that I've given you today, and you said, okay, I'm going to ask myself these 12 questions, you'd probably never speak again. I mean, I can't get angry until I ask myself these four questions. I've got to think about what I say. I've got to ask myself these four questions about the tone. I've got to think about who I'm talking to and ask myself these four. You'd just be quiet the whole time, which may be okay. It may be good. But I started thinking how impossible it is to tang the tongue. And then I I looked up at the magnet at the top. And some of you remember a couple years ago when we were looking at John, uh, when we were studying the life of John the Baptist. And and John the Baptist made this statement as he was kind of fading off the scene, as Jesus was coming on the scene, that he must increase and I must decrease. That he is greater than, than I. And I thought, that's the secret that's the secret to taming the tongue is to recognize the supremacy of Christ in all things that that God who did not spare his own son but he gave his son for you when you were his enemy when I know that then suddenly I don't have to be so quick to use my tongue to defend myself because he who did not spare his own son will he not also give me all things would he not also be my defender See, I, 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 when I understand my relationship to Christ, it suddenly changes how I use my mouth and how I use my words. When Jesus came onto the scene, John calls him the word, the word of God. And, and we're told that the word came to reconcile us to God and to give us a ministry of reconciliation. Are you using your words to bring people together? And to bring people to God. What is God revealing about the condition of your own heart? As you just consider the way you use your words, the timing of your words, the tone of your words, the target of your words, what is going on in here? Is He really greater than you? Are you living your life in such a way that He is first? Or are you trying to defend yourself? Are you trying to be heard? This morning, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and we're going to have a time of commitment and invitation. Um, last week, we invited you to uh, come forward and take a tongue depressor just as your symbol that you were going to participate in the uh, 429 challenge. Um, so, some of you have confessed that you didn't even get through 24 hours before your tongue depressor was broken. And you may need a new tongue depressor today. It's just a reminder that you can hold your tongue out of reverence and honor for Christ this week. For, for some of you, as you have just practiced silence, as you've just held your tongue, it's forced you to question what's really going on, what's behind your words, what's going on in your heart. And, and maybe you haven't liked what it's revealed about your heart. I, I want to encourage you this morning as we have our time of, of commitment. Maybe you would come and you'd just take another tongue depressor. Maybe you'd come and you'd just kneel at these steps and just confess and, and cry out to God to, and ask for his help as you seek to control your words in the way you use them this week. But I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing and to come as God leads. And will you join me as we pray together? God, we come to you and uh, we thank you, first of all, that you are the word of life that was spoken to us, that Jesus came to speak your word to us that we might be reconciled to you. And we're called to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus. We were reconciled to you so that we could have a ministry of reconciliation. And yet, so often we use our words to divide people. We're so quick to try to defend ourselves, to try to make our point. And, and Lord, in, in doing so, not only are we not reconciling people to one another and to you, but in fact, we're dividing people from each other. Lord, help us to be more thoughtful about our words. Lord, for those of us who are here um, who talk a lot, Father, just to be still and to be quiet long enough to sense what it is that's actually happening beneath the surface in our own hearts. And Lord, we invite your spirit right now to do a work inside of us. Father, to look at the, the dark places inside of us and to bring your light. And Father, we pray that the words that we speak would draw people together and would draw people to you lord as we come to this time of commitment i pray that your word would penetrate our hearts and our lives and that just as the power of your word brought creation into being that it might bring a new way of living into us for we ask it in jesus name amen